one of the things I'd encourage your listeners to think about is to consider being a little more bold in their get to know you questions for your potential partners. I like to ask things like, hey, when you're thinking about someone in my industry, who are the firms that you already refer to? I think it's naive to assume they don't have a partner. And I like to say, who are you already you know, interacting with? Who are you already sending clients to? And what do you like about that? Welcome to the Referral Bench Podcast, a weekly podcast for business owners and salespeople growing their business with networking and referrals. I'm Ian Campbell, CEO of Mission Suite. And I'm Phil Pelto, CEO of Firestorm. If you're working on growing your network, we have another great episode coming your way today. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get to this week's interview. This podcast is brought to you by Firestorm. Firestorm is a business-to-business networking organization that organizes events and meetings for business owners and professionals where they can meet, build relationships, and share referrals. Learn more at myfirestorm.com. And this podcast is brought to you by Mission Suite, offering small business owners, salespeople, and sales teams the contact management and sales automation software they need to grow their business at a cost that they can afford. Learn more about Mission Suite at www.themissionsuite.com. And this podcast is brought to you by Morton Design Co. Morton Design Co. is a collaborative, creative studio based in Denver, Colorado. They help businesses tell their unique story through thoughtful strategy and kick-ass design. Their aim is to give small to medium-sized businesses the visual impact of their larger competitors. Specialties include brand identity, logo development, and print design. Visit mortondesignco.com to learn more. Welcome back to another episode of the Referral Bench Podcast. Our guest today is Eric Walters. Uh, Eric is a wealth manager who helps successful business owners protect and grow their wealth so that they can enjoy their ideal lifestyle. He does that through comprehensive financial planning and investment management. Eric is the founder and managing partner of Summit Hill Wealth Management and has 15 years of experience in the business. Uh, A few key things about Summit Hill Wealth Management is that they have a specialty in working with business owners uh, to to focus on navigating the growth and protection of their wealth uh, uh, as they continue to focus on their business. Um, Obviously, there's a bit more complexity to the the personal finances of owners and operators uh, of businesses. So they have some specialty there. And uh, and they are also able to, to use that complexity to help owners build wealth, uh, but only after they address those risks that come with owning a business. Um, so Eric, thank. I hope I didn't butcher your your intro too too badly there. Your your bio too badly. I, I couple stutters, but but I think I did all right for the most part. But thanks so much for joining us. Hey, no problem at all. Hey, it's a pleasure, guys. And uh, it's an honor to uh, be on the podcast with you guys. I followed you. You guys are putting on some really good content. Uh, so thank, thank you. you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Man. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So, uh, so you know, let's, I mean, obviously we heard a little bit about your intro, about, about your, your your past and your intro. I mean, I, you know, you and I have known each other for a little while. So I know that that uh, that what's on your intro just kind of scratches the surface. So, uh, so tell us a little bit more about kind of where you're coming from, how you got to where you are, and you can go ahead and start wherever you want to start. Sure. Yeah. You know, my passion is really working with successful families to help them, like, like you said, protect and grow their wealth. And for us, we start with protection because I think a lot of people focus on growing their net worth, 
growing their investments, but they may be vulnerable to something bad happening. And that could be unexpected death of a loved one or disability or unexpected market crash. Or like we saw last year, you could have an interruption in your work, or if you own a business, uh, you could have a major interruption in your business. So we begin with the protection part first. Uh, you may know we're a fee-only advisor. We don't sell insurance, even though it's a really important thing, an important tool that we help our clients address, but we're a fee-only advisor. So first thing is we protect, and then we think about that growth. And that's where we think about the fun stuff, right? What's your lifestyle now? What's your lifestyle in the future? When do you want to retire? How should we save and invest for major goals like retirement, like college, like buying the home in the mountains, all the fun stuff. And what I think is really interesting is business owners have this added complexity. They've got a major asset on their balance sheet that at some point, most all business owners need need to convert that asset to a liquid asset in order to enjoy their lifestyle. And that's a key part to do with clients. And I find business owners are usually head down, working in the business. Usually I find things are either blowing up great or blowing up terrible for business owners. It kind of swings back and forth, right? And it's hard for them to take a step back and say, wait, what do I need from this business financially? And how can we make sure that happens? So that's a key part of what we do. And uh, it's, uh, it's my life's passion. Nice. So, I am. How, how many uh, how many business owners would you say are able to convert that illiquid asset into a liquid asset, and you know have that exit event, whether it be to you know sell it to you know a family member or you know investors or or whatever? That's a great question. In my completely personal, uh, you know, uh, opinion, I think it may be ten to twenty percent of business owners are able to make that transition. A number of businesses are simply not sellable because what the owner has done has created a job for themselves, and that all of the work goes through them. For example, maybe they're they're gathering all the new business, or they are producing all of the work, or they are the main determinant of the work. And if you're an outside investor, or another company, looking at that company, you'll pass on every single one of those businesses because no one wants to buy you know, a, a business where they have to invest 60 hours per week in that business. And so what for a business to be sellable, it has to be repeatable, it has to function without the business owner, and has to have key processes in place in order to continue to deliver a profit. So those are some of the questions that we have. Uh, the other challenge, I think, for a lot of business owners is that they work and work and work, and they don't account for the possibility that somewhere in their late 50s or early 60s, they may have health issues that come up and prevent them from selling when they're, quote unquote, 70. I hear that a lot. I love my work. I'm going to keep doing it. I can do this until I die. I'll sell sometime in your 70s. And whoops, at 61 we've got atrial fibrillation or something like that, where someone says, I have to sell right now in a business that maybe was worth 2 million without the appropriate preparation is maybe only worth hundreds of thousands. So I find those are the two issues that really prevent a lot of people from able to do that. And often it's a sad story. Someone will say, hey, I ran a business. It did well for a period of time. We hit some sort of obstacle like COVID or there was a lawsuit or we just couldn't have enough uh, working capital to make it work. So we closed it down. And then I went and got a job at blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world, but usually that represents kind of the death of a dream. And there was a, there was a process where someone was working towards something great. And then for whatever reason, they couldn't go forward. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a tough deal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, you said, you said a couple of things that, that are pretty interesting there. So 
with and this we'll dive into the referral thing in a minute here but uh just kind of a little bit more on your background too are you advising people on kind of maximizing uh their kind of the the value of that of, of that business asset as well is that is that a part of what you take on yeah because that's a key part from so many of our clients is what is the business worth now and then usually that's the the business value now is not where they need it to be for for them to say goodbye. I'm going from the sunset. I'm going to go enjoy my lifestyle. So that gap between where the business is valued now and where they want it, that's part of what we engage with clients about. Now, just like taxes, just like estate planning, just like insurance, it is not a single man uh, you know objective. We partner with the rest of their advisors, and if they don't have good business consultant advisors, we know a number of them that can do a great job assessing where is your business now from a third party's perspective, both its uh, you know, both its attractiveness and its literal value. And then what are the key, what are called value drivers that you need to work on? And that may be recruiting ahead of sales or recruiting ahead of operations, or you need to get the business owner out of sales altogether and just focus on succession planning. Or, you know, there's, a, you know, there's dozens, dozens of things to work on. So it's not me just doing it. It's with, in concert with some great advisors. But yeah, that's a key question. And then really, if you're thinking, for example, if you're a business owner and you say, hey, I think I need to net from the business $3 million able to enjoy my retirement. Okay, great. It's only worth 800000 right now. Okay, we have an idea of the steps that need to be taken to get you there, but we need to have someone to hold you accountable. And that's usually me. Usually the investment banker will come in and give an opinion on the value and says, call me when it's three, you know, we're ready to talk. And the consultants are helping address their specific areas. But part of the value we provide is partnering with that business owner to say, let's not lose sight of the big picture. Let's break up this multi-year kind of development plan and keep it going while we're looking at things like personal tax planning, investing, insurance, and so forth. Well, I mean, if that's not a good segue into networking, I don't know what is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and and one of actually one of the the things that um, Eric you had said in thinking about that business and and whether or not it's attractive and how many people can exit um, was that a lot of business owners, you know, basically turn it into a job for themselves. It's you know maybe a highly compensated job, but it's still a job because they're actively involved in the operations of it and they're the primary source of the biz, uh, business development, or they're producing the product. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, no matter what size your business is at, I mean, unless you're, you know, huge, like Apple or something, but, um, you know, if for, for the rest of us that aren't Apple or Google, um, you know, we get, uh, we get into this thing where we're, you know, bringing in a lot of the business and then you've got to produce the, the product and, you know, work on it. And so there's these, peaks and valleys in revenue where, you know, you sell a bunch, but then you got to deliver on it. And then you got to go by, you know, you're, oh crap, I don't have any deals in the pipeline. Now I got to go sell a lot. And one of the things that, you know, Ian and I talk about a lot with the referral bench is, you know, figuring out how to smooth out those peaks and valleys in revenue by developing a good solid referral network. So you're not always out there, you know, there's only so much time in the day for us to do business development activities, you know, and even if you're maxing it out, you're doing five appointments a day, which is a lot of biz dev appointments. Um, even if you're maxing it out, there's a limit to how much you can do. And so there's going to be a hard limit on how much you can actually increase, you know, your, your company to. So, um, you know, we want to go out and build these strategic partnerships with people that are talking to the same types of clients that we, that we talk to, um, and kind of have our back. And, and it's, uh, it's interesting. I, as you were saying that I was like, oh, you know, 
building a business and removing yourself from it is a lot like building a great referral network and, you know, having people help you out in, in doing the biz dev. So, um, with that in, in, in mind, like how have you managed that for yourself and how have you used, you know, kind of that referral network to help you grow? Yeah. And just to comment on what you shared, I think you're exactly right. I think it's important if someone is a solopreneur and wants to be a solopreneur to know that that's a great choice. I don't mean to imply that you have to build a team, that you that you have to go through the steps of expanding your organization. But for those who feel that grind or feel like eventually they'd like to step out of part of that business, eventually you're going to have to do that. And for some solopreneurs, the question is as simple as how much of my income do I need to save and invest each year so that I can shut down the business at some point? That, that's okay. But if you've got an ongoing business with employees, with intellectual property, with the share of the market, and you think and you want to sell it at some point, then you're exactly right. You've got to, as an owner, take yourself systematically out of that. And you think about Michael Gerber's e-myth, great way to think about it, create your future organizational structure, put your name in every single block, and then slowly fill up from the bottom. That's, you know, that's exactly it. But to your point, uh, you know, I think our marketing approach has been to specialize in, especially in our area, right? You can throw a rock and hit 10 financial advisors in Denver and in most big cities. And, you know, if you listen to the way we talk, we often tend to say the same thing. Oh, you know, we help clients with their financial planning and so forth. And people go, yeah, 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 whatever. And so for us, a big key has been to find that niche, to specialize and gathering all the education and tools that we need so that our ideal clients say, hey, wait, I, I haven't heard anybody talk about that. And so what we're looking for is that, wait, what? response when other, you know, other advisors and potential clients hear it, they go, Hey, I, I haven't heard that before. So I think the first is just finding that niche and identifying the real pain points for our clients. And that helps us stand out with our, you know, second strategy, which is identifying those advisors that work closely with our clients. And we tend to think of it as upstream and downstream. And upstream just means that who are the advisors that work with our clients before they traditionally come to us? And for us, that's usually uh, business attorneys that function as kind of general counsel. They're kind of jack of all trades. Those are great connections for us because they're seeing a business owner develop their business. And they're usually kind of issue spotting for them. Another kind of upstream advisor is often CPAs. They'll see clients go from formation to, hey, a successful business. And it's often CPAs that'll get the question that we we love to hear, which is, hey, I think I need some help with, uh, you know, kind of the wealth I'm creating. The business is now worth something. I've, maybe I bought some real estate that we're operating out of. The numbers are getting bigger. Do you do you know anyone? And so those upstream advisors are really helpful. And then we also think about downstream advisors. And those are advisors that I usually refer a lot of clients to. And this is, again, CPAs, but then it includes trust and estate attorneys. And then also insurance professionals. Insurance is a big part of how we help clients protect themselves and their loved ones. So I usually kind of bifurcate it upstream and downstream. And then we form networks with them because I know that my clients are going to need these advisors. And part of my secret has been trying to uh, trying to identify a handful of partners that are like-minded, similar ethics and trustworthiness, similar expertise, similar size clients, and just basically developing that relationship where, hey, we know we have similar clients and we know you probably have other choices, but we'd like to be kind of in your top two, top three, you know, referral 
uh, team and and having those conversations with those other partners and getting to that point where we are referring clients back and forth to people that we trust. That if it was my own mom, I'd say you should go talk to this person and getting that level of trust and uh, reciprocity in a really honest, open way. And that's where I think we can try to avoid a lot of unproductive networking meetings. Um, I feel that, you know, within one or two meetings with a potential contact, um, I should be able to identify, hey, is this going to be a good potential match or not? And it, regardless, I'd like to add value to their business. So I'm always asking, hey, who are the people that you're looking to connect with? And if I can, I'd like to make those introductions. But if it's not going to be a good you know, a good kind of two-way relationship, then I don't have any problem saying, you know, it looks like it's not a good fit. That I think keeps me from trying to network with 150 people and instead trying to focus on maybe 25 or 30 people that I know really well and know me and know our value proposition. So, uh, Eric, you brought up a couple of a couple of things that that uh, that stuck out to me there. Um, and first of all, the you talked about having CPAs as your as a big referral partner for you, right? And I think the answer to the question I'm about to ask could give some pretty good insight into the way that you are able to develop uh, relationships and and could probably give some pretty good insight into and into to, to kind of some best practices there, um, but. I, and this is no offense to CPAs out there, but I know CPAs to be terrible referral partners. And of course, I'm a CRM guy, right? I mean, CPAs aren't going to refer me, but typically aren't, just aren't having those conversations, right? But when I was consulting and whatnot, you know, I was never able to successfully create relationships, uh, networking relationships with CPAs, right? And in no small part, because they, they at, from the CPAs that I've spoken to, is a lot of them say, well, yeah, because we're super guarded and super protective of our client base, right? So how do you go about and, and, and again, this the, uh, we can extrapolate the answer to this question to just about any other industry, but CPAs specifically, I'm curious because they are one of the more challenging referral partners to really develop relationships with. How do you go about doing it? I think that's a great question. And I agree with your observation for, um, I think, a good part of my career. I did reach out to a number of CPAs and felt like I was hitting a wall and couldn't really figure out exactly why that was. And I think part of it was us going back to our commitments to our clients and seeing how can we deliver on our commitments even better. And a key part of our client's life and one of their biggest headaches is tax planning. And so what we did is we went back to our client experience and said, hey, we can do better collaborating with our client CPAs, sharing information with our client CPAs proactively to help clients get a view towards what's coming, to share ideas with CPAs in terms of, hey, here's our toolbox. We think you know, this set of ideas could apply to our joint client. What do you think? And then gaining credibility with CPAs. I find CPAs respect someone who follows through on their commitments in joint clients and they respect expertise. And so for us, as we focus on business owners, we let them know we focus on business owners and we came to the table with some specific planning ideas for their particular clients, I think it got their attention because they said, wow, okay, a number of financial advisors take us out to lunch and say, hey, you know, we've got great strategy and we do financial planning and blah, blah, blah. But I think the CPAs are thinking, who's going to help me with my work? Who's going to help this work out for clients? I find CPAs are incredibly dedicated to the welfare of their clients. You know, if you think about one profession that really, really cares for their clients, and to your point, they're very guarded, they're very protective of their clients, it's CPAs. 
But when we went back and improved how we interacted with clients and their CPAs, it made a big difference. And then also, um, you know, to my prior point, when we were networking with CPAs, I created a filtering process for myself. Basically, I was looking for CPAs that were proactive with their clients rather than reactive. And right there, in my experience, you're probably going to filter 80 to 85% of CPAs. And that's not a knock on CPAs. The CPA business is pretty low margin. It's hard to charge you know, $500, $1,500 per tax return and offer clients a really in-depth, time-intensive relationship. That's It just not work. And so CPAs often are in a dynamic where they have to kind of run by volume and they're kind of pressed to balance that, right? They work incredibly hard during the tax season and they deserve a lot of time off. And so what I did was just kind of say, who are the CPAs usually who are charging more, who are proactive and who as part of their process are, are reaching out to the other advisors saying, hey, let's talk about this client. And I found that's what the number one thing that clients were looking for in their CPAs. So I went out and looked for that in CPAs. I think I, I ended up filtering out about 80 or 85% of them. And those that fit that criteria going to them and saying, here's our process, here's the information we provide, here's our, I think, where overlap is, here's our ideas, free of charge, feel free to use them. And and if slowly, it started to work. But I'd say that's probably taken me about nine years to understand that dynamic and build those relationships. That's awesome. I I, I really appreciate that, that answer because I think that a lot of times, um, you know, people don't put that, that level of effort and energy and, you know, uh, intentionality into it. And, uh, yeah, I think it shows, um, obviously if you have gotten to this point and you're, you're building those relationships and you're getting results from it, um, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding. So, um, one thing I wanted to go back to is something that you had said, uh, in your previous answer, um, you said you can figure out and through your filtering process, um, you know, one to two meetings, if, if somebody's going to be a good partner or not. And I tend to agree with that. I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, I don't know if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's book blink. Um, but you know, trust your gut, like you, you can figure out pretty quick what what's up. Um, but that's not to say that in one to two meetings, you're going to develop a relationship to a point where you're sending each other business. So, um, how, how long, do you think that it takes for you to nurture that relationship once you've decided this is the right person? Um, what's the process after that? And and when would you expect, I guess, both when, when can you provide value to them? Um, and when would you receive value from that? Yeah, I, I appreciate that question because I gets, I think it gets to the heart of building good relationships and that if you, if you identify someone as a potential good partner, it doesn't mean that you are yet there that you yet have that relationship and so for me i think if i identify someone that there could be a good relationship i i view it a little bit like dating you've got to i think show up consistently right and i think part of that is sharing good content and then also i think just building that relationship and i think that takes a number of meetings and that and that is on the assumption that the other party feels the same way and in some ways like dating um i think you can identify sometimes a good a potential referral partner, and they their dance card may be full. Uh, they may feel like they're really, really happy. I've certainly been in that situation, and I think it's uh, I think it's a skill to kind of exit gracefully if it seems like their dance card is full. And one of the things I'd encourage your listeners to think about is to consider being a little more bold in their get to know you questions for your potential partners. I like to ask things like, "Hey, when you're thinking about someone in my industry, who are the firms that you?" 
already referred to. I think it's naive to assume they don't have a partner. And I like to say, who are you already, you know, interacting with? Who are you already sending clients to? And what do you like about them? Be bold in your get to know you questions. This is a great, great statement because, you know, we talk a lot, you know, we, we all get together with people all the time and, you know, oh, these, let's have coffee and let's sit down and chat, right? And let's get to know your business a little bit and let's get to know your dog and, you know, your hobbies and all that sort of stuff. And, oh, that's great. Fantastic. But, uh, but, you know, figuring out who is really going to be a good part of your network and a valuable part of your network is an entirely different thing. Right. I mean, they can be part of your, you know, your target market. They can be serving the same market. Your, um, you know, your, 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 your complimentary services, they can have perfect complimentary services to you. But if to Eric's point here that, uh, you know, if, if they don't have, if they don't have room in their network for you, right. If they've got, you know, in my world, if I'm talking to a sales consultant and they've got three other CRMs that they, that they like, that they love and they're locked in on and they know well, Yep. They probably don't have room for me, right? Yeah. And that's okay. That that just means that they're not my right referral partner. Um, again, going back to something that Will Duke said uh, in uh, in his episode um, back in the summertime uh, in, in in July, was that uh, that you know treat each refer treat your referral partners like they're a sale in of themselves, right? And you got to yeah. figure yeah. like they're they're your they're your, they're they're your next client, and so in order to do so, you got to figure out all the things about whether or not you're going to be a right fit, including things that maybe you don't want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I mean, it's tough, you know, like it's tough to uh, find that person that you think is the perfect fit because they're dealing with the exact same types of clients that you're dealing with. And, you know, everything is great. You might even get along really well. Um, it's hard to take a no and it's, you know, say, oh, I, I don't fit on, you know, the dance card, as Eric put it, you know, it's uh, the, the dance card's full and I'm, you know, in no waiting line, maybe I take a number. So wait for one of those guys to, you know, retire or something like that. Um, so, but it's, it's hard and it's hard for, you know, business owners and salespeople and, uh, whatnot to, to take that. And, uh, but if you're being honest with yourself and you're, you're being the most efficient with your time and, you know, uh, kind of looking at this, um, from a, uh, pragmatic standpoint, like just, move on, you know, go find somebody else that you can build a partnership with where they do have room in their network for you and you've got room for them. Um, but I think, you know, we were kind of joking around about hopium. Um, it's, uh, it's tough to, you know, to do that. And, you know, people want to hope that, oh, well maybe, you know, there will be somebody that they can refer me. That's a good fit. But, uh, you know, if, if you ask the tough questions and they just straight up tell, you no, like, move along, stop wasting your time. And I like to say, who are you already, you know, interacting with? Who are you already sending clients to? And what do you like about them? And I'll also ask, do you have space for other people kind of in your top referral or are you kind of built out? And so I think that gives, that lets me understand what are they looking for in someone in my industry? And so, for example, if they say, hey, I refer people to a certain firm because they like to pick stocks, they have the hot stock tip ideas kind of every week, uh, you know, they're kind of gunning for 100% returns per year. I know pretty clearly we're not going to be a good fit. That's not how we invest. We, we don't do that. And I don't mean to disparage that investment style. It's just not our style. And I could say, oh, you know, we don't, we don't invest that way. Let me tell you about it and see if it's of interest. And so I think asking a little more bold questions from the person across the table, I think can allow both of you the freedom to be honest 
and say, yeah, my dance card is full and I, I, I don't have any more room and I appreciate you reaching out, but it's not a good time. Or no, I only have one or two referral partners I work with and neither of them are really fitting what I look for. Tell me more about what you're doing. I think it, I think it brings up what we are thinking about in networking, but we are, we're not often, I think, bold enough to do. And it took me quite a while to, I think, get to that level of um, courage. And I honestly started my own firm where I just felt the pressure <laughs> to, you know, just say, I've got to make my time count. Before, when I was an employee, I was being paid to, to have these breakfasts and lunches. And I just, a certain number of breakfasts and lunches were just part of the deal. And that's fine. And if I had to wait two or three years before they bore fruit, well, then that's fine. Now, I don't think I have that luxury. I think I have to do it a little quicker. And Phil, I should answer the rest of your question, which is how long you know, should you wait? I think if you have this kind of honest dialogue from the beginning, I think you can refer back to it in subsequent meetings and to say, hey, you know, we've met a couple of times. You said you were looking for this. We provide this. Um, you know, here's a case study of a client we worked on. You know, do you have a similar anonymous case that we could talk about? I find sometimes in networking meetings, you can only talk about dogs and going to the mountains and fun stuff so long before it's helpful to just say, hey, can we talk about business? And particularly in a service business, it's hard for people to quantify what we do because it's invisible, right? So I find case studies, white papers, you know, anonymous client examples are a great way to bring potential referral partners into our world so that they can get a feel for what it's like to work with us. Their biggest risk is introducing someone like us and we we blow it up for them. We, we do a terrible job and the client is really upset. So these kind of, hey, could you tell me a little bit about issues your clients are facing? Do you want to see an example of what we did with clients? What is your client's big pain points? What you're doing is you're starting to talk about your clients in an anonymous, safe way, but you're starting to feel them out. Like how, what's the level of technical depth? Um, how open are they? with other advisors. And, and then you can start to say, um, hey, would it make sense for me to get introduced to that client you've mentioned three times now that has that problem that we can address? So I think sometimes if you get to that level of boldness, in my experience, that could be six to 12 months of those kind of consistent interactions. And I don't know if that helps. That's awesome. And if I had like sound effects on here, like a, an applause would be appropriate right now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, uh, I love that answer. And I love that it blends kind of the, um, you know, I think sometimes people can trick themselves into going out networking, you know, air, big air quotes around networking and thinking that they're working and, you know, patting themselves on the back and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm going out and I'm, you know, going to these meetings and yada, yada, yada. Um, but they're not actually accomplishing anything or moving the ball forward. And, um, you know, by asking those questions, by being bold and, and having those tough conversations with people, um, you're kind of having this nice mix of, you know, I'm being a salesman, I'm driving my business forward, I'm driving revenue. And I'm also doing that in a, in a very strategic manner. Uh, but uh, I, I love that sort of, you know, crossroads right there. Mm -hmm. So kudos. Yeah. Cause yeah, well, like they say, Oh, go ahead. Ed. I was just going to say that it, it's very true that, I mean, cause you mentioned being very judicious about your time, right. And feeling like, you know, when you started your own business, you had to be more judicious about your time than, uh, than you did before. And while that's very, very true, so many people don't look at that because they, they just do so many business owners when they start a business, they're like, I got to go to all these meetings. I just got to get myself well known. Right. And 
sure there can be some benefit to that. And uh, I mean, I personally have benefited greatly from that, but, um, but I'm in a very different industry. I'm in a very specific industry that doesn't matter who you are, you could potentially be a client of mine, right? For the most part. Whereas for most people, it's not like that. And so you do have to be very, very strict about where you allot your time and where you're where you're networking and whatnot, you know, because that's the only way that you're actually going to see it grow. Right. Right. I think, I think you're both exactly right. And it's like they say, practice makes perfect, but only if it's perfect practice. And I think this is where the two ideas in, I think, uh, sales and networking come together. One is that it's about the numbers. You know, this is the classic approach, right? And I remember being in organizations where colleagues of mine who were primarily tasked with business development, they had to have X number of meetings per day and X number of meetings per week. Well, what do you get? You get a bunch of trashy meetings, right? And so there's, I think there's a balancing point where you do have to hold yourself accountable for activity, you know, I think particularly as a business owner, if you're leading the business development charge, operations and delivering the service will suck up all your time. So you've got to hold yourself accountable for activity. But just like the coach, that isn't going to be happy if you just hit 100 balls with a crappy technique. They're going to want to see good technique. I think you also have to have a filter on it. Who are you spending time with? Who are you developing those relationships with? And don't fool yourself just by looking at your activity and saying, well, I'll be fine just because I had a large number of coffees. Absolutely. You know, and you, you talked about before, um, you know, one of the, uh, there's a couple of things that you talked about before. First of all, the, the, that, that concept of um, kind of looking at it like dating, right? I mean, you got that whole, you know, you got to kiss a lot of frogs to find whatever, uh, you know, and I mean, there's, there's a lot to that. And, you know, you don't necessarily know, I find anyway, and I'm, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on this. I feel like you don't necessarily know if it's a right fit, but you always know when it's a wrong fit, right? Yeah. And I think part of the, uh, part of the uh, filtering process is kind of the quick filters where you know it's not, you know not going to be a good fit. If it's not a good client fit, you know, if you just don't have similar clients, it doesn't matter. In my industry, a lot of people like to brag that they work with the very largest families. You know, for example, they'll say something like, our our average client size is $50 million. And you're like, that's great. Uh, you know, but we we just, we don't have a lot of that client overlap thing. But we do have some clients that are in that wealth, but it's not our that's not our primary space. Our clients have it's significant net worth, but they're not there. And so I think even if you want to play with a big dog sometimes and, you know, in kind of inflate your revenue or inflate your size, it's not going to be a good fit. So I think mm -hmm. if you don't have similar clients, stop. If there's not a similar level of expertise, stop, right? If they're, if they're just kind of skimming along and you want to go really deep. And then also if there isn't, I think, a chemistry and an ethical fit, I think sometimes you get people that you just don't get a good feeling with. And you got to filter them out. So that's how I think about that. But to your point, there have been some gems of relationships that I have found that have totally surprised me. And I've been willing to kind of let them nurture because I didn't, because we, you know, I didn't have any knockouts, right. In the sense of my filters, but I didn't immediately kind of understand where the relationship would go, but I knew they worked with clients that were similar to our clients. And I knew our clients could potentially benefit from their services. So I allowed it to kind of marinate and just kind of see what happens. And that's where, you know, I appreciate your conversation, uh, your last podcast with Bill Kosky about positioning, 
Because that's how I think positioning comes in. Because then you're keeping in touch with them, hopefully with content, with post, maybe you know a PDF of an article. You're just kind of marinating, letting see what happens. So you know we have to be careful not to knock out people too quickly. Like if you don't send me a client within two weeks, you're out. That's foolish. But I think you have people that you have that relationship with. You know, kind of your you could call almost your A level first, and then you have other people that could move up into that level. You're just not sure, but don't knock them out. But just stay in touch. With them in a good way. And I appreciate again the content from your last podcast, which was one to many. And that's where the one to many, I think, builds credibility. It enhances your potential clients when they look at you. You're talking about pain points and topics that they care about. And their advisors look and say, oh, yeah, it seems like they're kind of swimming in the same lake that we are. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, uh, that's, uh, the other question that I had for you is it really kind of goes to one of the the kind of more in-depth questions that, that you ask. Um, <clears throat> so that question of, do you have space for in your network for me? Right. That's a pretty ballsy question, right? Cause I mean, it's not only, not only are you saying you know, like, Hey, I belong in your network, but, uh, but you're giving them the opportunity to say no and slap you down. Right. And that's, and those are, that's, that tends to be something that a lot of people aren't going to ask because they don't like being told no, even if it's not for a sale. So how long did it take you to get comfortable asking stuff like that? And, you know, I mean, I'm assuming it was just a matter of adding that question to your kind of, closing script or opening script or whatever, kind of like whatever you have in your head that kind of goes through that. Like, but how did you, how'd you go about uh, getting to that point? You know, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that I was really bad at this for a long time and uh, only, you know, through years of kind of input and learning from some great people got better. But, you know, I started my career as what they call a portfolio manager at a trust company, meaning I was working with successful families, only dealing just with their portfolio and other team members were handling other parts of the planning. Over time, I got more education. I became a certified financial planner and started to handle, you know, in addition to investments, started to handle more. And I was very happy with that. I was a classic technical specialist. And in my prior firm, they kind of announced that everyone at my level, if they wanted to earn a year-end bonus, had to start developing business. And, uh, you know, I saw colleagues that would say, you know, I don't care. I would just like to continue to earn my salary and I'm not going to jump in. I had three itsy bitsy babies at home and I was thinking about college savings and you know house payments. It's like, okay, I got to do what I can to try to do this. So I started reading books. I started asking people who were good at it and started just taking baby steps toward networking. And I made a lot of mistakes. And one of the mistakes that I made was a lot of I hope meetings. And I think you guys can relate to this. You would find someone who is probably a pillar in their industry. Like, for example, a really well-known CPA in, in my in my world. Maybe they're managing director of a well-known uh, firm. Think of like a Deloitte or P- PwC or something like this. And so you network with them and you have a meeting and all of your discussion is I hope discussion. You know, and you're just, I hope, I hope, I hope they like me. I hope this is fine. And that's great. And then you go back to your office and say, Hey, I just met with the managing director of, you know, some big firm. And they go, Oh, great. And then you, you know, send them an email, Hey, I'd like to meet again. And then, you know, if you're not careful, it could be three years down the line and you've never talked about your joint business. You've never gotten anything from them. You probably have sent clients to them as a way to try to curry favor. And they probably just said, thanks. I expect this, you know? So after having that experience, I realized I needed to do a better job uh, positioning our business in terms of our value. I don't think I was sticking up for the value of our business enough, 
relative to our competitors. And I was wasting my time and the other person's time. And they might have appreciated the free breakfast and the free lunch. I'm sure they did. Um, but it was a waste of everyone's time. And so that's what I think led me to be a little more bold and having some conversations with more senior people like the classic managing directors and one realizing their dance card was full or two, they didn't understand our business or three, they never sent out referrals, you know, or four, they weren't involved in referrals anyways. It was a level down that was referred to on referrals. So I've, I've had all of those experiences and you realize, okay, we should you know, we should just kind of level up. And and I will say, I usually don't ask people, hey, I'd love for a chance to be, you know, in your top tier, unless we have a relationship. They've already expressed that they understand it, they appreciate it, they think we're something special, then they'll usually say that. And usually it takes some meetings to get there. It's not like I'm going to say that on a first meeting. But I think asking those good questions, listening careful, being humble, um, and also coming to the table with a good process that you can say, I'll put this process up against any one of my competitors and you can tell me if you like it or you don't like it, but I'm pretty sure this is industry leading gets you, I think, a lot of credibility. If you haven't figured that out yet, then you're then certainly you can kind of continue to, to network, but that's what you should focus on, delivering on the commitments you make for your clients. And the other thing I haven't mentioned is a lot of our, our introductions come from clients themselves. You know, and for us, that I, that's the highest compliment because when you work with someone's wealth, their future hopes and dreams, that's a big, big deal, right? Someone saved all their life and now they're about to retire and they're about to hand it over to you. So for us, creating that consistent client experience that clients say, this is great. Will they refer someone? That's great. So yeah, it's uh, it's quite a process, but eventually I think asking good, honest, bold questions helps everybody involved. Totally. I love that. We, I, I used to do sales training for Sandler and, uh, they talked about that, uh, that hope and it's a, it's a powerful drug. We called it hopium. <laughs> so <laughs> salespeople get addicted to that. It's like, Oh, oh. I hope they call me back. <laughs> yeah. I hope this will lead to something great. I hope they'll, you know, this will be a reciprocal relationship. Yeah. And, you know, I think a coda to that is, you know, if you've built a relationship with someone and you've uh, kind of been developing that relationship, um, I've appreciated the chance to work with some of our referral partners and to say, there seems to be an imbalance. You know, we, we're not, we're not quid pro quo here, but we have, you know, shared a number of clients and it doesn't seem to be going the other way. And I wonder if we can talk about that. And if you want to talk about a ballsy question, you know, like, you know, people will stop eating and kind of get a little pale and go, okay, you know, but if you've established that as kind of an understanding that we, we want to be helping each other grow your, grow each other's business. We respect each other. Yes. There's space on our card. And then if it's kind of one way, I think it is important to kind of bring that up in a respectful way. It's not that we're owed introductions, you know, so nobody owes us anything, but if that was if that was how you kind of establish your relationship after a period of time and it's not happening, I think it's important to go back to it and just say, hey, do you have concerns about our service? Um, do you have concerns? Is there something, was, did you have a negative experience? Is there another firm that's doing a better job? Um, help us understand that. And again, it's just getting to that point of um, being honest. And so we've had a couple of those conversations as well. That's awesome. So um, I have a I have a strong inclination that you have some awesome success stories around networking. Do you uh, do you have one in particular that you uh, would share with us? Yeah, I think uh, one of the ones that um, I'm really thankful for is getting to know a really 
really smart CPA here in Denver. And over the years, really gaining his trust and, you know, working with his clients closely and kind of executing on exactly what I said, which is close collaboration, proactively sharing information, and eventually getting this highly respected CPA to say, you know, Eric, you're you're number one for me in terms of who I want to work with. And, you know, that was really special as a really, you know, kind of special milestone. I really respect this person, um, think they're really the best. And for them to turn around and say, you know, you're number one in our book was, you know, great. And, you know, that's not something you can really go home and like tell your six-year-old like, hey, I just, you know, I reached this. But, you know, I think if people who knew me were like, wow, you know, you're, you're really jazzed about that. And I was. And it just kind of uh, it was a capstone of this idea of finding people who are really good, who you really want your clients to get to know. And if you have the pleasure of working with their clients, for them to give you that compliment was really an honor. That's super huge. And I, I, uh, I think not enough uh, kudos are given to that sort of thing. You know, I mean, we always talk about, you know, closed deals or, you know, how big is the revenue book of business, yada, yada, yada. But um, that thing right there, getting the, that vote of confidence from a, a trusted partner is, uh, is so much more valuable and, and more important. And in my book um, would be something I'd be like sending people letters about. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And to your point, if you are able to build that that kind of relationship with usually just a handful of people, your business development efforts are going to bear much fruit. I mean, you know, the 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 years I spent working with that CPA had basically kind of took care of my business development goals for the year. It took a long time to get there. It took a lot of nurturing, a lot of work with clients, but that access to his clients and being kind of number one basically catapulted me into the kind of top ranks of, you know, business development folks. And so that's where that's the, that's one of the payoffs, but honestly, the financial payoff and the recognition was not as important as the great relationship with someone that I respected that, and that satisfaction of feeling like, wow, you know, we're, we're, we're trained, you know, we charge, we charge money for our thoughts and our knowledge, you know, as a service professional, Mm -hmm. that's what you do. And to get to that level with someone like that, that actually was much more satisfying. Yeah. And uh, for all of our listeners, just rewind like a minute and listen to that again, because <laughs> that that amount of business uh, and whatever the dollars are, the fact that, you know, you can get uh, a relationship and, and whatever amount of time you need to spend nurturing it and building it, um, it is worth so much to you and to your business and to your family. And uh, so anyway, get, that's that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. That's a massive win. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Nice. So, uh, Eric, one of the questions that we always ask people uh, is if you could go back to the beginning of your business development days and uh, and tell yourself one thing, whether it's to do differently, do more of whatever, or if you could give yourself one piece of advice at the very beginning of all this, what would that piece of what would that advice be? I think it would go back to what we were before, which was um, don't be afraid to ask those questions, to have some filtering on both sides early on. I didn't lack for activity. I was diligent about activity with phone calls, coffees, and so forth, but I didn't filter a lot of the connections. And for many years, it was just the I hope and not a lot to show. And so I think I would be more diligent in identifying who are the who are the ideal uh, kind of connections for me, adding value to them. Um, that's one thing I think I would do more of. Right off the bat, when I determine that someone is a trustworthy expert, I ask, how can I help you? Who can I introduce you to? And really within a meeting or two, I like to try to be introducing them to the people that they say they want to be introduced to. So lead with adding value, lead 
with generosity. Um, but don't hesitate to filter and don't hesitate to have those conversations because then your activity, which you need to keep up, I think will be far more fruitful. And I think people will respect you more because you're taking your time seriously, you're respecting their time, and you're making it clear that you're looking for good mutual connections. And those questions allow you to do that. Nice. Definitely. Nice. All right. Last thing, where where can people find you? If they uh well, thank you. yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind. We're at www.summithillwealth.com. Uh, you can see some of our uh, quotes in industry publications. You can see some of our blog posts and you connect. You can connect with us if you're looking for a conversation. So thank you. That's very kind. Absolutely. And we'll put links to uh, you know your social and website in the um, show notes. So Great. Absolutely. Guys, it's been a real pleasure. I just uh, really respect, again, the content that you guys are putting out. It really resonates with me. I, you can probably tell from some of my stories, some of the lessons you've shared, I've resonated with. It's like, yes, I've been through that. Yes, that's true. So <laughs> just kudos to you guys for putting and, and just in finding some great, great um, guests. So thank you for letting me be part of that. That's awesome. awesome, man. We appreciate you and we appreciate yeah. the feedback on the podcast because, you know, it's hard when you're like, you know, we're not in front of a live studio audience. Like right. I don't get any immediate <laughs> gratification from this. So it's always nice to hear good feedback. I mean, I've been this close to putting in a laugh track from time to time, just, you know, <laughs> like that canned laughter just to get something, you know, just to get something you could, you could, there's still time. That's right. That's right. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being here, man. It's been a, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate you both. Thank you very much. Awesome. Cheers. All right, guys. That was another awesome episode of the Referral Bench Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, tuning in and sticking around till the end. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate you sharing it with all your friends as well. Absolutely. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, whatever platform you're using. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast as well. That definitely helps us with our ratings and with our rankings and whatnot and uh, helps us get in front of more people. We're dropping fresh episodes every Thursday morning. So tune in every week and we look forward to hearing you next time. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.